You're listening to the GGC Life Podcast, weekly messages from our Sunday services. We hope this message encourages you. Be blessed. I was saying earlier, we should never take for granted the presence of God when we worship God and that we can have access. We have access to God's presence. Isn't that good? It's amazing. It's more than good, isn't it? It's like we can... The fact that Jesus was our forerunner, Hebrews says he was the forerunner who went into the holy of holies. I don't know if you understand what that means. In heaven itself, it's the real God's throne where God dwells. Jesus was the forerunner. To have a forerunner, you need to have runners after him. You don't call that person a forerunner. He went, pioneered the way. Jesus as the Son of God went into heaven so that we have access to God's throne. Isn't that good? I mean, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to be good enough. You don't have to strive. You don't have to, it's not about your works. It's not about your performance. It's about the blood of Jesus. Jesus shed his blood, died on the cross, paid the penalty, and he gave us free gift access, free gift of forgiveness, free gift of right standing with God. And the good news is you don't have to just be at church to experience God's presence. You can be anywhere. That's beautiful. That's amazing. Anywhere you are, you just have to have an open heart with faith and we experience his presence. I've been, I've been walking with God since I was 19. It's a long time ago. How long is that? 30-something years. 31 years ago. 31 years, I still appreciate I can experience God's presence. I really do. I still appreciate it. I don't want to take for granted that I have access to His beautiful presence, His peace, His love, His joy. We need Him desperately. We need Him desperately. You don't know how much you need oxygen until you don't get oxygen. No, you don't know how much you need air until all of a sudden air is sucked out of the room and you're dying. And that's the presence of God. You don't know how much you need Him until He's not there. And so appreciate Him. Amen? Be hearts of appreciation. Wonderful. If you've got your Bibles, please turn to anywhere you want to. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 5, please. Ephesians chapter 5. All right. You know in the Bible, when you read the Bible, God's Word never changes. This world changes all the time. The culture of this world is changing all the time. hundred years ago, it was a different culture that people faced. Today, we face another culture, a different culture. It's still evolving. It's still changing. In another hundred years' time, it's a different culture. But I want us to know the Word of God never changes. God's Word is forever settled in heaven. If God puts something in the Bible, there's a blueprint, a pattern on a certain way of living. We've got to believe it. We need to find out revelation or why it's there, but we need to understand how to Understand the pattern that's in the Bible. We've been talking about relationships for the last couple of weeks, but we're going to dive into marriage and finding God's pattern for marriage, finding God's pattern and blueprint on how to have a, an amazing marriage. God's thought about our makeup. He's thought about husband and wife. He has planned that. He designed that. He put us together, and we need to know how to find His uh, pattern and believe His pattern, even if the world starts to change. Do you believe that? And I'll try to explain it the best way I know how, but I believe in God's Word. I believe it, it can really change us and transform us to live the way heaven lives. We're talking about the kingdom of heaven, the culture that comes from heaven. Verse 21 says, Submit, Submitting to one another in the fear of God. Again, that's a good basis. It's talking to every single person. Every single one of us should submit to one another in the fear of God. Because I reverence God as king, I reverence God as the ultimate source of love, truth, and everything, if a new believer just became a Christian yesterday, and he says something that's 
according to God's word. And he says some truth, aspect, perspective. It doesn't matter where it comes from. I submit to what he says, even though I've walked with God for 30 years. True? It doesn't matter where it's come from. We submit to one another in the fear and reverence of God. So the submission is mutual. No matter who speaks the truth, when we speak the truth, if it's the truth and I can witness to it, I'll submit to that. That's true in a husband and wife relationship. We're going to talk about a man being the head and a wife talking about submission and what that means. But, the, but when my wife speaks truth and she says something that's true, it doesn't matter if it didn't come from me. I can witness to it. I'm a good leader. I go, yes, that's a great idea. Let's run with that, even if I didn't come up with it. Understand? So just a little bit of inkling on where we're going. All right. If you, if you look at the Bible, verse 22, it says, Wives... Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Wow. And if I was a woman and I read that, I'd go, wow. I'd go, what? I'd probably go, wives, submit to your own husbands as, as to the Lord. I've got to submit to my husband. Picture myself to be a woman, okay? As to the Lord. I mean, that's a big ass. That's like, wow. It's a good scripture that lets us... Oh, so I've got to be careful as the first person. Let's women off, because in Colossians chapter 3, verse 18, it says, submit, Wives, submit to the, your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Fitting means as is proper in the Lord, as is appropriate in the Lord. The authority that the husband has is under the Lord. So if the husband, for example, starts to try to lead you astray, you have the freedom to say, no, I can't do that. I've heard all, all sorts of stuff. I've heard in the name of being a Christian, one husband who didn't know Jesus, wasn't following Christ, you know, unsaved, doesn't know Christ. He was smoking dope. And the wife as a believer goes, well, I was submitting to him. So I just want to submit to him. And I smoked dope with him because I was trying to submit. He wanted me to smoke. So I, no, you have the freedom to say no. It's not fitting in the Lord, is it? If your husband says, I want you to lie over the taxes so we get more money back. You can say, look, you, you, it's your choice. You can lie over the taxes, but I'm not going to lie. You're free to obey the Lord, but when he's walking in the Lord, you have to submit. The word submit is to obey his authority. It's like obey the order, to place in order, to come under the order that God places. Now, let me explain, first of all, before women go, oh, that's big ass. Wives, submit to your husband. I mean, this is verse 23. Let's just understand it a bit, and then we'll understand what we're filtering it through. Verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he's the savior of the body. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. In the same way that the church is subject to Christ, and Christ is the head of the church, the church is the bride. You are, if you're a believer, you're the bride of Christ. So you're that bride that submits to Christ. How does Christ lead us? Think about it for a second. How does he lead us? He leads us through love. He leads us through revelation. He never uses fear. He never uses manipulation. He never uses control or threats. God just doesn't do that. Perfect love casts out all fear, but He leads us gently. He, I mean, the Lord has never made me do anything except I wanted to obey. I submitted myself. I chose to submit to Him. That's how He leads us. That's what I'm trying to give us a picture of what real godly leadership looks like. Because when we read wives submit to your husbands, the wives go, oh, that's hard. That's a big ask. It's like, oh, why? And, you know, and we don't get it, us men. But I, let's have a look at the world. The world's leadership, the way the world does it is if you're a leader, 
everybody serves you. And you're in charge. And you're the big boss. What you say goes and all that sort of stuff. It's like, a, and everybody underneath you serves your needs. And look what, if you look at Luke tw- chapter 22, verse 24, this, this issue came up. And the apostles were arguing, disputing with each other in verse 24. Now, there was also a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. They're thinking, who's going to be the greatest? I'm going to be the greatest. No, no, I'm going to be the greatest. They're arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God. And he said to them, look, Jesus is trying to fix their mindset. We have a filter. Please understand, you're looking at that scripture, Ephesians chapter 5, wives submit to your husbands, through a filter of the leadership that's in the world. The model that's in the world is wrong. It's not leadership, it's not godly leadership. And the way they view it is, Jesus says, look, the, king, the kings of the Gentiles of this world exercise lordship over them, and those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors, beneficiaries. They get benefited because they're the leader. Everybody under them blesses them. Like, that's why we want to be in leadership, because oh, everyone's going to serve me. Wrong model, Jesus is trying to say. But not so among you. In other words, that's how the world sees it, but not so among you. On the contrary, we're the opposite. Filter husband and wife leadership and the way it works, the opposite of the way the world works. He who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger. And he who governs as he who serves. So if you want to govern, have an attitude to serve. Real leadership, real godly leadership is to serve people's needs. Even, even in the kingdom, every single person in this church, if you belong to this church, the, the attitude is to serve. Godly leadership is to serve. Not a position. I want a, I want a position. I want authority so everyone can serve me. Wrong model. It's the world's model. We don't bring it into the church. Now, what does it go on to say? What does Jesus say? For who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? Now, in those days, they had servants, people that cooked for them, people that cleaned the house for them. Who's greater, the one sitting down, getting served, or the one that's serving? He goes, the one who's sitting down, obviously. He says, is it not he who sits at the table? Verse 27. Yet I'm among you as the one who serves. He's trying to really play with their mind. He goes, isn't the one who sits at the table is the greatest? But I'm not here to be served. I'm here to serve. And I'm the great. And Jesus is the greatest leader. He's the Lord himself came down. I mean, he's trying to drive this point home so much so that at the end of his life, at the Last Supper, where he's about to give up his life, he takes off his outer garment on, off, and puts a towel around him and starts to get down, getting dirty with a, with a basin of water and washes their filthy, dirty feet. Only a servant does that. And he washes them. And Peter goes, no, no, no. He's trying to break their mindset. Godly leadership is serving. When you start to read Ephesians 5 through those lenses, through that filter, it's no longer, you know, wives submit to your husbands. The husband, by functionality, by the position that God places him, is a leader. It says in the same way as, and I'll explain what that leader means, because again, people go, can I lead? Yes, you you can lead too. You can speak, you, you've got a freedom, you've got, you've got to me, there's, there's no ceiling on a woman's authority and, leadership and, and, and um, anointing and calling, nothing. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. That word savior means deliverer of the body. Christ is a deliverer. So I believe a man's role is a provider, a protector, probably first, first thing is protector, provider and a, someone who guides provider three roles provider prote- protector sorry provider 
and someone who guides. He's like the deliverer. And Jesus, Jesus said that his role was the fact that, verse 24, Therefore, just as, Christ, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. The word gave means Jesus sacrificed his life for his bride. He gave his life even to the point of death on the cross, paid the penalty. This is how he served us. This is how he laid down his life, out of love. Love leads, love sacrifices. Love lays down his life. So he went to the point of dying on the cross. And it says husbands do the same. So let me explain what protection provider and guide looks like a little bit. If we've got a, we live in a double-story house, we live in, I know, our bedroom's are upstairs, and if, if my wife hears some noise and she wakes up downstairs, she hears something. She wakes me up, honey, honey, there's noise, and she's scared and freaking, freaking out. I go, what's wrong? I'm half asleep, and usually I take a while to wake up. What's wrong? Go downstairs, go downstairs. And I, imagine if I said, what? There's noise. No, you go downstairs. Imagine if I said, you go downstairs. It's just a man's role to protect. I don't even, it doesn't even go through my head to even be tempted to ask her to go down. Not once. It's just like, it's what you do. You lay down your life. You just do it. Imagine, imagine being, you're not much of a man if you go, honey, you go, I'll wait up here, I'll take care of the kids. I mean, seriously. Imagine if you're faced with someone that, let's say some terrorist threat, and they've got a gun. And they say to you, I'm going to shoot your whole family unless one of you comes forward and I'll, let me shoot just one and I'll let you all free. Imagine in that place I say, oh, hon, can you go? <laughs> I mean, you just wouldn't do it. You wouldn't ask your kids, that's for sure. But as a husband, as a man, your primary role is protector. You automatically go, I'm the one who's going to lay down my life. You won't even think twice. I won't even think, you won't even be tempted to think, honey, could you go? I want to stay alive, you know. No, you just lay down your life. You protect. And provision is the same thing. A man is called to provide, not just physical. I know we go, but he's a breadwinner, and then he goes to work and she stays home. I'm not really talking about that. Provide to me is spiritual emotions, spiritual love, joy, peace. When I think about being a leader, I think about being a pioneer. I'm up ahead, and I'm trying to cover, bring a covering of God in the home. I'm showing the way for humility, transparency. I'm showing the way of honesty, integrity. I'm leading by example. I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm the leader. I'm the leader. I'm providing these things. I'm way ahead. I should be because I'm supposed to be the head. I, th- I think this is important because we start to understand what leadership looks like. If I can say it this way, a man is called to do those things. If he doesn't fulfill his role, a wife's called to submit and obey as it's fitting in the Lord, there, there's your ticket, okay? Just in case <laughs> they're do, doing things that are totally outside of God, you have the freedom to say no. I really believe that. Um, and, and if the husband doesn't fulfill his role the way he should, and the wife obeys her calling that God has asked her to fulfill as her function in this role, when they both die and go to heaven, the wife will be rewarded and become great in the kingdom of heaven. And the man, if he didn't fulfill his obedience, it's all about obedience to relationship. If he doesn't walk in obedience to the relationship he has with God, he'll, he'll be least in the kingdom of heaven. Does that make sense? Because to me, you've got to understand, through kingdom of God's eyes, the culture of the king, when you walk in obedience to what God's called you to do, 
The, Jesus did say that if you obey these commandments, you'll be great in the kingdom of heaven. But if you disobey these, you'll be least in the kingdom of heaven. There is greatest and there is least in heaven. Just in case you think, oh, when you get to heaven, you're all in the same place. No, you will be rewarded according to your good works here on earth. You don't get saved by your good works, but you'll be rewarded by your good works. Nothing to do with your salvation. Salvation is done because of what Jesus did. But after salvation, your level of obedience to the degree of what God has said to you, if you walk in obedience, you'll be rewarded greatly in heaven. Amen. So we just get a, a little glimpse of what it looks like to be a godly leader, to lay down your life for your wife. God spoke to the wives. He's not talking to the men. He says, wives, submit to your husbands. He didn't say, men, listen up. No, he said, I'm talking to the wives, men, shh. I'm talking to the wives. This is your role. So us men should never have to need to use, the Bible says, wives, submit to your husband. Now, I've done that. It doesn't let you or the men off. I've done that a few times. But I've learned I don't need to do that. When you learn your role, you learn your authority, you, know, you learn what real humility is and what real maturity, intimacy is with God, you realize you don't have to ever do that. Because you can't force anyone to submit in the kingdom. God doesn't force us to submit, does He? All right. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Now he's talking to the husbands. Wives, I'm not talking to you, God says. He's not talking to the wives. Husbands, I've got your attention. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for it. Now he's talking to the husband. You know what the wife needs? The wife needs unconditional love. And the man, under God, can give unconditional love. Under God. In other words, if I don't have a close relationship with God, I don't know how to love my wife unconditionally. But if I'm close to God, He fills me with the love to sacrifice my life to love her unconditionally. Not because she deserves it, but I love her unconditionally. Even though she doesn't deserve it, because no human being does, by the way. But I love her even if she doesn't deserve it. Just in case you think, what's wrong with my wife? <laughs> Nothing's wrong. But you lay down your life. You don't, you don't go, well, when you deserve it, then I love you. No, it doesn't work that way. What does a man need? Man needs respect. God didn't say to the woman, lay down your life and love your man unconditionally. He says to the woman, respect your husband. That's right at the end. But God doesn't waste words. Even though it's just one statement. I mean, talks, submission speaks of respect, obviously, and understand to obey and trust, you know. But let's keep reading. How do we husbands love our wives? Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. That verse, verse 25 we're reading. Gave himself means to give yourself even to the point of death. So Jesus gave himself even to the point of death, dying on the cross for us. But why do you do all that? It says here in verse 26. So that, in order that, that word that means in order that. In order that he might sanctify, set the church apart or his bride apart and cleanse her, his bride. This is Jesus cleansing the bride of Christ, his people, with the washing of water by the word. The word the is not in there. It actually just means his word. So Jesus washes the bride with his word. How does he do that? Let's just read verse 27 and explain how he does that. So that he might present her, this is Jesus with the bride, to himself, a glorious church or a glorious bride, 
not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. This is how Christ presented the bride to himself. He came through a virgin birth. He lived a perfect life. All the days of his life, for 33 years, obeyed his father completely and perfectly without sin. And then willingly gives up his life as the sacrifice to become the substitute, to die on the cross in our place. And when he does that, he, he represents mankind. He's identified himself with man. He never sinned though, but he becomes sin so that he could defeat the enemy on our behalf for us in our place. So when he strips Satan of the authority he had against man, takes the keys of death and hell from hell, and when he gets resurrected from the dead, he sits at the right hand of the Father. He's seated victorious as a man. He gives us that victory. says, you've been forgiven. Now, how does he do it? By his word. He says, you're forgiven when you put your faith in me. I give you right standing. The gift of righteousness when you put your faith in me. What's he doing? He's speaking. He's cleansing his bride by the washing of his water by his word. How did we receive it? It's only when you believe it, it changes you. It doesn't change you just because he said it. It changes you when you believe, God, you said I'm forgiven because of Jesus. You said I have right standing with God. What does it look like to have the righteousness of God imputed to me? It means by faith, I can come into the presence of God. I can experience God. I mean, that's some good news. But the word of God washes me to believe that. I've got to receive the Word. I've got to get God's revelation. What is God saying about me? I'm His son. I'm adopted. All those words are washing us. They're washing us. God is powerful. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And the Bible says God in Hebrews 11, that God spoke the universe into existence by His spoken Word. So His thoughts, He thought up the universe. He had the See it in his spirit, see it in his thought life. And when he spoke it, what he spoke was created. That's how powerful God is. But we're made in his image. We're made in his likeness. So I read this all over again. Because it says, when you've got to understand the keys here, it says, verse 25, Husbands, love your wives just as. The word just as means in the same way or in the same manner as Christ also loved the church. And gave himself up for us so that he may. So if Christ did that for the church so that he may sanctify her, aren't I able unto God speak the word of God over my wife so that she can become without spot, without wrinkle, without blemish by the words that I speak over her life? I'm called to do that as a man. It's part of loving her. Because we all have a wrong picture of what love is. Now, I can't do that if I don't honestly before God see, see my wife through God's eyes. I've got to see my wife through God's eyes. You've got to see your wife through God's eyes. God sees her loving, love, a princess, valuable, special. She's a child of God. God sees her washed. God sees her forgiven. God sees her with greatness. God sees all those things. And when I seriously and sincerely see what God sees, I will speak accordingly to what God sees over my wife. In a time of anger, in a time of frustration, a time of argument, you don't go, what's wrong with you? You're a stupid idiot. Do I want to live with a stupid idiot? Do I want to create a monster? Do I want to create a beautiful bride? Watch your words. What we say, you will end up receiving. I believe this with all my heart. From the Bible, it's clear. Proverbs 18, verse 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Mark chapter 4 talks about the seed. The sower sows the seed. Words are seeds. So if I speak something I don't want to 
I don't want to create. If I speak a seed and it falls into ground, it becomes a tree, produces fruit I have to eat from. I have to eat from the seed I spoke. Even the death and life are in the power of the tongue, it says, and they that love it, love the revelation, will eat the fruit thereof. You eat the fruit of the words you speak. James chapter 3 talks about the same thing. Read it. It says that we put bits in the horse's mouth that we can turn the whole body of the horse. Little tongue, little thing on its head. You just turn the rein and it moves the horse. A ship, even though a ship is really, really large, has a little rudder. And the captain can move the ship anywhere he wants to, just from a little rudder. So is the tongue. It's so small among our, the members of our body. It's a little, little piece here. Be careful what we use. Because you can start a bonfire, a bushfire with your tongue worked by evil, or you can start a, a righteous fire. I really believe that. You can start something that speaks from God. As you speak, you create. Words are also carriers. Did you know that? Words carry. Actually, containers. Jesus said in John chapter 6, verse 63, My words, they are spirit. They are life. They are. They carry spirit of God. They carry the life of God. They carry love. They carry faith. They carry joy. Your words can also carry fear, hatred, bitterness. Have you been under someone that spoke all that yucky stuff and you feel like you need a shower? It's because the words carried. And if someone says, I love you, I really love you, it carried love to you. Words are carriers. So you've got to be careful what we say over our wife, over our children, because words creating. I believe we can present to ourselves a glorious bride without spot, without wrinkle. I believe that with all my heart. God thinks, if I can say it this way, we, we think in days and weeks. God thinks in decades and, and years. Oh, I just got married. What's wrong? What's wrong with my wife? Love her now. Love her. Now, we also think um, we need, you know, we have two empty souls. Find each other. We complete ourselves. I'm just an empty soul. I'm looking for the, the one to complete me. Well, you've got it all wrong. You're not an empty soul. You get filled by God. You get filled by husband and wife, gets filled by God in relationship with God. You're to complete people and you come together to build each other's life. If you need your husband to complete you, you're going through marriage the wrong way. Because you need God to complete you, you know. Because only God can satisfy a woman fully. A man, no man could. So if you're looking to your man to satisfy your emotion, your every emotional need, you're already on the wrong track because man wasn't designed by God to fill up every single thing about you. Your relationship with God is a major part. Then you need good friends, besties. You need your family around you to some degree. Best friends, you know. Men need best friends and girls need best friends. So I believe these things really, really strongly because it's in the Word of God. Uh, you know, um, I've tried to do this. I tried to lay, try, and I'm still learning. Try to lay down my life for my wife. And, but again, I, I fail at times, but there are times when I'm so full of God that I know how to lay down my life for my wife. Now, when we first got married, she would say to me, her, her love language is serving. She loves to be served. Her love language is quality time. Her love language is gifts. Her love language is all five, that's for sure. <laughs> Affirmation. Yeah, probably more. Probably more than the five. <laughs> anyway, when she says, honey, can you make me a cup of tea and a, a toast? I, 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 yes, okay, sure, hon. I can't believe. I'm, in my head, I'm going, what's wrong with her legs? Can she get up and just make it? It's like I'm sitting down. I'm comfortable. Why can't she just get up and do it? Beginning of my marriage, the first few years, I'm struggling. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. 
it got a little bit better over the years. I'd go, you know, I'd do it. And I'd, yes, honey, of course, I'm a bit more, you know. And then I'd still, in my mind, I can't believe she can't even make her own cup, you know. And she's going to use me and, and she's not, you know, if this is going to come back. And all these wrong mindsets that love, that we don't understand what love is. When we, see, love is vulnerable because the Bible says perfect love casts out all fear. But when you love, we don't know if we're going to get it back. But you love anyway. Because love never fails. You've got to believe in it. You've got to believe what love can do. But sometimes, and I, and I, there have been times, I, now I've learned after 25 years. That's a long time. So I don't think I'm a saint. It's taken me a long time. I've had to work through a lot of bad attitudes. But after 25 years, I go, honey, would you like a cup of tea? Now I'm thinking, when I make a, a breakfast, honey, would you like toast? What would you like? And I do it with joy. Because I've learned, the Bible says, when you love your wife, you're loving yourself. It's hard to see it that way, to actually think, do I love my wife as I love myself? Because I really love myself. You do too. You know, when you're hungry, you give yourself food, don't you? You know, when you're hungry, you don't go, I'm, you're starving. Good on you. I'm going to make you get hungry. You're going you're gonna to pay for this. I'm going to make you so hungry. And if you're freezing cold in the cold, you don't go, oh, yeah, you're cold. Good on you. I'm going to make you suffer. I'm not putting a warm jacket on you. Now, you care. Nurture yourself so you go find a nice warm jacket because it's cold outside. You're thinking of the future. I'm going outside. What's the weather? Check your phone. It's cold. I love myself. I nurture my, I protect myself. I feed my, I'm tired. I put myself to bed. We care about ourselves. Jesus actually says that. For no one ever hated his own flesh, in verse 29, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. The way you care for your own body, your own needs, the Lord cares for you like you're his own flesh and bones, because you are. Cares for you in the same manner. Wow. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you, in particular, so love his own wife as he loves himself. It's, telling the, it's reminding the men, love your wife as you would love yourself. It's a big ask, lay down your life, to love her like you love yourself. The problem, most people don't love themselves. They don't have the value of the way God sees them. So they hate themselves, full of you know, self-guilt and condemnation. So that's how you spew it onto your wife. The anger, frustration, unforgiveness, bitterness, it's all living in you. You've got to find that love and peace with God. I love this. It says, nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. The, wom the woman's job is, the woman's responsibility is to respect and honor her husband. That's all we men need. Our love language is respect. You can love a man unconditionally. It didn't ask the woman to love a man unconditionally. It asked the woman to respect and honor the man. We are called to respect, I mean, to love and lay down our life. Someone asked a survey of men if he had a, a, a choice of being the only person left on the planet. You'd be lonely for us your life. Or that the whole world is there, but that every one of you doesn't respect you. Every one of you doesn't acknowledge you. The men said, I'd, I'd rather be alone than if no one else respected us and respected me. And the women said, no, I would rather lose everyone else's respect. I'd never want to be alone because they want to be loved. They desire to be loved. Men desire the, the in, innate nature that God put on us is for respect. This is the problem, though. God called us men to love unconditionally, didn't he? We don't, I don't love my wife. If you deserve it, then I'll love you. 
I'm supposed to lay down my life without her deserving it. Women, the problem with women is it's hard because you say, but my man doesn't deserve to be respected. When he deserves to be respected, I'll respect him. It doesn't make sense to your brain to, to give him respect when he doesn't deserve it, does it? Because when, when I'm trying to teach him to deserve it. If he deserves it, I'll respect him. But you're supposed to give respect regardless if he deserves it because it will change his heart. You don't give a man respect because he deserves it because he's performing because then you're giving, it to his, you're giving respect accordingly, accordingly to his performance rather because of who he is. You don't give a man respect because of what he does, but for who he is. Sorry about this, but just us men are men. For whoever we are, we just need respect because of who we are. It's just the way we are. It might sound arrogant. Respect us because we're a man. But it's just God created us that way. The respect part I'm talking about. So when you respect when they don't deserve it, they will soften their heart towards you and they will become pliable. They'll actually change. But the problem with a woman is I've got to fix my man up because he doesn't deserve to be respected. So all these problems that he's got, and he forgets this, he forgets that, I told him to do that, he doesn't do it, he forgets this responsibility, he does this. So I'm going to fix him. So we end up correcting him all the time, criticizing him all the time, and nagging at him all the time. And we think, I'm fixing the problem so that he deserves to be respected, so I can respect him. But you know what that does to us men? It makes us more angry. Because you're always nagging at us, attacking us, criticizing us, telling us what we need to do, and we don't feel respected we get more angry, more frustrated, and it's harder for us to love. So the woman's job is to respect their man. Just a few things that you can do to respect. Respect his judgment. I don't know. It might be hard, but learn to respect his judgment. Even though sometimes his judgment looks like it's wrong. Just learn to respect him. Give him enough respect to say, okay, I trust that judgment. And if it, if it powers out to be wrong and it worked out wrong, the man needs to be humble enough to go, honey, that was a wrong judgment. Your decision was better. We'll go with yours next time. You need to be humble enough to go, that was wrong. But you've got to learn. Women need to respect their, their judgment. That's one way we're going to honor. Women are going to honor men. Respect his abilities. Don't undermine him by thinking he's going to forget everything. I better remind him all the time. But there's, <laughs> learn to respect his abilities. He's going to learn. Respect in communication. Again, the way you speak, the way you, what you say. You know, instead of, instead of nagging him, why don't you fix the garage? You haven't fixed the garage. You said you were going to fix the garage. What's wrong with you? You never fixed the garage. And just attack, attack, attack. Just say, hon, can you do me a favor, honey? Can you come up with a solution and a, and a, shelving, a shelving thing? to really work out where all the stuff should go in the garage. Give him a solution, he'll do it. You're asking him for his abilities to come through. You're saying, can you come up with a solution? We need your brains on this. We need you to work it out. If you say that to Nathan, he'd work it out. Can you see it? It's a different tack. Can, can you come up with a solution regarding the storage of our garage? Someone's calling Curtis. So it's respect and communication to not demean him and, and those things. By doing this, you're respecting that, your, your man. And believe me, it's our love language. We will feel loved and we'll know how to love unconditionally. But it's not according to him deserving it. Respect in public. What do you say over your husband, over your man in front of people? Be careful what you say. Even if he drops the ball or says something or forgets something and, and drops something of his responsibility, don't demeaning in front of people. 
Don't say, oh, you've done that wrong. Oh, you always do that wrong. What's wrong with you? Like, don't do that in front of people because that's not respect. And then respect in our assumptions. Be careful how you assume. Assume is an interesting thing because we've, uh, uh, we've all assumed and we've all got ourselves in a mess. Hey, when you assume something, you've got a little bit of judgment. You assume and then you're totally wrong. How many of us have done that wrong? I have many, many, many times. So you learn to, I try to lean not into assumption, lean not, well, I don't have enough information, I'm not going to assume. And so women, don't assume on your husband and make a wrong judgment on him. But that's what we need. If I can encourage you, find your way through God. Say, God, help me to respect my man. Help me to respect my husband. Help me to understand what real respect, what real honor is. And then men, lay down your life and love your wives. Amen. You've been listening to the GGC Life Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. For more, please visit our website, ggclife.com or email us, ggclife at ggclife.com. From our house to yours, be blessed.